you know, obviously if I, if I started trying to uh, cover all of Daniel, all of Zechariah, all of Ezekiel, all of Revelation, you know, we could go forever. So this is going to be topical. Today what I'm going to do is introduce the whole subject of prophecy and uh, it'll probably surprise you to know I'm going to take a little different uh, approach to it uh, than, I, than what has been typical in my experience. And uh, so, so this is the framing. What I'm going to be telling you here is how I'm going to approach any prophetic question. Um, so I'm going to do three things today. First thing I'm going to do is define what prophecy is. If you're going to talk about a subject, you know, I ought to be clear about what it is. And the second thing I'm going to do is describe a little bit about what I know about how it operates. And then the third thing I'm going to do is really focus in on the main point of this whole thing from my perspective is prophecy always has a main point. The main point's always really abundantly clear. And historically, people don't get the main point and they get distracted off on every other thing you can imagine. That, that's, that's kind of the main point of all this. So as we go through these prophetic questions, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest that we should hold most of it with a very open hand because it's not intended for us to have conclusive knowledge about. And what we should focus in on is the main point, which is always just exceedingly abundantly clear. And for some reason, humans want to ignore that part and focus in on the other part. We're going to talk about that at length today. So, first question is to define prophecy. Here's here's the definition I'm going to propose. Prophecy is uh, God talking about stuff. How do you like that definition? Prophecy is God talking about stuff. And if you look in the Old Testament... Uh, and, and you have the prophets. The prophets talk about things. Give me some examples of stuff that prophets talked about. Destruction of Jerusalem. Destruction of Jerusalem. Okay, when's that going to happen? Well, it happened once and it'll happen again. Okay, but when they were talking about it, was it a it was present or a future event? It was a future event. It was a future event, okay. So they talk about future events. And they talk about future events in, in kind of what kind of manner? Come in. What kind of manner did they talk about future events? It's going, to yeah, it's going to happen, and it's is it real or is it perspect is it uh, possible? Real. It's real, yeah. So when God talks about a future event, it's just real. It's just stuff that, that it's it, it's it's true. And to God, He's not bound by time, right? So when He's talking about a future event, He talks about it just like He's talking about a present event. It's just stuff that happens. Okay, what's some other stuff that God talks about in the prophetic books that's not future? Give me some examples. Uh, Christ came. Christ came. Okay. All right. How about how about uh, in the Old Testament? Obedience. Yeah, obedience. Like what kind of topic? Um, uh, following the commandments of Moses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You are not doing what I ask you to do. You're you've got idols, and you need to do, you need to knock those idols down. You're robbing the wages of the poor. You're not doing justice. You're showing partiality to people. It's just stuff that's happening. And people don't like that because they're, they're being told stuff they don't want to hear, typically. Uh, Jonah. Jonah. Jonah had two, both messages, didn't he? 
He had a he had a present message about what was going on right now. What was that message? You're sinning. You're sinning. Yeah, you're sinning. And then the future part. I'm going to wipe you out unless you repent. So there we got there we got an interesting thing, right? You got stuff that's that's going to happen, but there's a decision point. And God says, you, you can choose the outcome of the future. If you do this, I'm going to do that. If you do this, I'm going to do that. So now we have multiple options being talked about. So prophecy is just God talking about stuff. That's, that's the definition of prophecy I'm going to work with. So uh, Now, in, in this particular uh, series, we're going to focus on God talking about stuff that's yet to happen. That's usually what people mean when they talk about prophecy. But that's not an exclusive definition. It's just God talking about stuff. We're going to focus in on the future part. But he always tells us the future part for current application. So what we're going to do is not just uh, uh, titillate our interest. We're, We're going to bring it back to the whole purpose of it. The big point's always something that has to do with now. What was the big point about uh, the Babylonian... uh, Oh, you see, you talked about Jerusalem. Well, well, it was Jerusalem. What, what was the big point about the Babylonian captivity and the destruction of Jerusalem? What, what do you want them to do? He wanted them to repent, and he said, after 70 years, I, I will return. Yeah. To he wanted them to repent, and he actually said, if you will honor your treaty with Babylon, I won't do this. If you'll honor your treaty with Babylon. But if you're going to trust in Egypt, then Babylon's going to come in and wipe you out. That was kind of Jeremiah's message. And, you know, they didn't listen. So, it happened. So, prophecy is God talking about stuff. That's point number one. Point number two, let's talk a little bit about how prophecy operates. And I'm going to focus on two things. You might have some other things you want to pitch in. But I'm going to focus on two things about uh, future prophecy, how future prophecy operates. Uh, And these, I think, are really important always to keep in mind when we're talking about prophetic type things. Uh, So, uh, first thing is that prophetic statements are not always chronologically linear. When when we talk about the future, we tend to talk in terms of linear chronology. I'm going to go to the store, and then I'm going to go to the baseball game, and then I'm going to come home and mow the grass. Right? Isn't that how we usually talk about it? And if somebody said, um, I'm going say, I'm going to take uh, Joe, who's uh, six, and let's say I'm going to take Joe to the, to the soccer game, and then I'm going to go to his high school graduation. What, what, what would automatically occur to you? He's six. There's a time gap in there, right? And would that sound odd to you? We usually don't talk about that way, right? that when we put these giant time gaps in there. But in prophecy, that happens all the time. Now, um, to God, is that a big time gap? It's not that big of a time gap, right? So I'm going to show you the most extreme example I know of, of a time gap, and it's in Luke 4.18. Luke 4.18. Luke chapter 4. Verse 18, we'll start in 16. So he came, up, he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. 
And, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who are in the synagogue were fixed on him. He's good at drama, you see that? And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's pretty cool, huh? Well, let's go look at this passage. He's reading a prophetic passage. Uh, Can you see in your cross-references where that is? Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's where he stopped. He stops right in the middle of a sentence. What's the rest of the sentence say? And the day of vengeance of our God. (laughs) He just stopped in the middle of a sentence. Now when is the day of vengeance of our God going to be? What's that that referring to? Yeah, the second coming. So he he just he he reads a verse, stops in the middle of a sentence, says, This is fulfilled in your hearing today, and the rest of the sentence is thousands of years in the future. So you would think it was odd if I said, I'm gonna take Joe to the soccer game, then I'm gonna go to his high school graduation, which would be twelve years in the future. This is thousands of years in the future. Okay? So when you read something that's prophetic, what do you always have to keep in mind? What's the point? There may be gaps. There may be gaps. Okay? It's not chronologically linear necessarily. Now, what does that mean about trying to construct a very clear uh, analysis of the circumstances that are going to take place in the future? Very difficult. Very, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's going to be very difficult. And if you lock in on that, you're going to miss some things. And we're going to see that uh, in spades here in a minute. Okay, so the first thing to understand about the way prophecy is, which we defined as God talking about stuff, uh, and it can be present, past, or future. We're going to focus on the future in this, in this segment. Oh, by the way, a bunch of people came in. The way I'm going to do this series is uh, around questions about what, stuff. Uh, what, is, what is hell and who goes there, that sort of thing. And so, any prophetic type question you have, you'll, if you'll email it to propheticquestions at gmail.com, I'll try to work it in. So, you get to participate in setting the lessons uh, for, this, for this session. So, first thing is, God 
um, talking about stuff, that's prophecy. How it operates, the first thing about how it operates is it's not necessarily chronologically linear. There can be big gaps. Okay? The second thing about how it operates is that God often leaves stuff out. Let's look at Mark 4.11. We'll start in 10. But when he was alone, this Jesus, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to show the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 2. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians uh, 15. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery... We shall not all sleep, but she will, we shall all be changed. What's a mystery? Something you don't understand. Something that was not previously revealed. You watch a mystery movie and they give you little clues all the way through and then all of a sudden, boom! The piece of information you didn't know and now you understand it, right? So God reveals things in such a way that it's not clear what's happening to a lot of people. God withholds information. Paul calls the church what? A mystery. Okay? That wasn't revealed. He says the prophets of old longed to understand this. And now it's being revealed, this great mystery. God didn't reveal it. So if God didn't reveal that, what does that tell us about the other stuff He's revealed, about what's yet to happen? It's prob- we can assume probably he hasn't told us everything about it, right? We're going to study some about the new earth and what the Bible tells us about the new earth. We don't have hardly any information on the new earth. Most of it's unknown. Well, I think we can make some really educated speculations about the new earth, but that's all they are. He tells us it's a really great place to be and we want to be there. We get the main point. I think another example of this is how the first coming of Christ was spoken of in allegory, mostly through the Old Testament, while the second coming was spoken on the literal level. Um, so they're different. There's allegory um, prophecy, and then there's literal prophecy that's spoken of very clearly. You get clues, but uh, the experts in these prophetic uh, utterances about Jesus coming totally blew it. And they're, they're way better experts of the Scripture than we'll ever be. And so, so the first point, prophecy is just God talking about stuff. The second point, uh, how it operates, the, just the two major things, and, and there's, much, there's a lot of other stuff. It's not necessarily chronologically linear, and God leaves stuff out.
Okay, He leaves stuff out. He doesn't talk about everything all at once. If he did talk about everything all at once, could we possibly understand any of it? Yeah. I think that's important. He's yeah. not trying to trick us. No. He's leaving things out in his mercy and grace. Yeah. He's leaving stuff out and he has a reason for leaving it out. Do you tell your did you tell your kids everything at a young age? Like when they ask, where do babies come from? Did you tell them everything? Uh, the kids would ask in school. It gets easier eventually, doesn't it? <laughs> no, no, it's harder every day until you die. Exactly. Yeah. So, and would you want to know kind of how your death's going to come about? Would you want to know that? It's going to be on this day and happen. That you, man. There's it, a lot of times information left out is greatly to our benefit. Great point, Tim. Okay. So, any other major point anybody wants to make about how prophecy works that's real important to you? Okay. So, I'm sure we'll triple cross other things as we go. But so God talking about stuff and not chronologically linear, and it's He's leaving stuff out. Okay. So now the third point that I want to talk about is that the big points are always clear. When God talks about something prophetic, He always makes the main point, and anybody can understand it. And the other point about it is that people just tend to overlook that and go to building a system. Now, why would we want to do that? Give me some reasons why we would want to do that. Well, why does it make you feel comfortable? I know what to expect. And I can... You know, that's great. When we have a set of circumstances or a set of rules, we automatically feel empowered because why? We can, we can control it. Exactly. I mean, your child, if when they're young, any child when they're young, the minute they hear a rule, what do they automatically start doing? Yeah, they start looking for loopholes, right? Immediately. It's just built in. So, if we can know what the future circumstances are, then we can find a way around it. Now, how much sense does that make, really? God is going to build a system that we can manipulate to our own benefit. Really. And I think the Greek mindset uh, promotes this thinking because we have a step logic, so we have to connect the end and everything in between, while a biblical mindset can actually hold tension and say, I don't have to associate this part with this part. Good point. Good point. We do we do tend to be um, we do tend to have very simplistic cause effect uh, explanations for things. Actually, the, in our in culture, the politicians use this all the time. You know, I, I'm going to this event is making that happen. And if you have any kind of systemic knowledge at all, you look at it and say, "What?" And people buy it because people prefer simple explanations. I, there's a really an amazing book that I've read. And uh, he actually, they've actually experimented on this, that when there's a complex situation, people will substitute an easy problem for a hard problem because it makes them feel more comfortable. It's, it's kind of an established uh, uh, analysis that they have. So we tend to do this. But what God's trying to get us to do is go beyond that and see the big point. So as we do these prophetic questions, I'm going to do something that I... This is completely out of step with uh, what most of the prophetic stuff that I've heard. Most of the prophetic stuff I've heard is somebody has a very concrete, established system of sequence of events and they're defending that system and they're knocking down this guy's system that has a different sequence of events. 
And I think some things are pretty clear. Now we'll talk about that. And I think it's fun to talk about those things. But we don't want to do what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees really understood prophecy, and they had a lot of it right. And they had it so well set down and had such a good system that they missed the point of the whole thing. And let's go look at that. Yes, yeah. Anytime we talk about prophecy, this is one of my favorite verses. It's in Matthew uh, 24, 36. It says, um, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Okay. So so who knows? Good point. And, and uh, when, when Jesus was about to reascend back to heaven, they came to Him and said, Is it now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said... Don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's not given to me to know that. Only God knows that. So what do we do? Write books about when he's coming back. That's the answer to that, right? But taking rearview mirror prophecies, things that have already happened, it can help us actually point to the future. But when, when it comes to things that are in front of the windshield, we have to only speculate. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, we... I've talked to people before and said, well, you know, if we would have had all the Old Testament stuff, we would have missed it too, taking this approach. No, no, we would have, we would have gotten it. <laughs> okay, so let's, let's, look at, um, let's look at some um, verses about missing the point. Let's look at John chapter 5. We're going to spend most of the rest of our time in John. I had never really seen this before, but it seems that John kind of specializes on the topic of the Jews missing Jesus in the Scriptures. John 5, verse 39. Let's start in 38. But you do not have His Word abiding in you. It's real interesting. He's talking to people that knew the entire Bible by heart. They probably have known the entire Bible by heart since the age of 15 or so. Word for word. So their Awana's program wasn't choose one verse from this chapter and memorize it and then forget it two weeks later. Their Awana program was, okay, today, Tom, uh, we're going to do Deuteronomy. Go. <laughs> How would you like to be the listener for that program? Eh? That's why I'm no <laughs> And then he says this amazing thing. You search the Scriptures. Now, that actually is a very complimentary uh, term, isn't it? How many people would be offended by Jesus saying to you, you search the Scriptures. That's very complimentary, don't you think? These people searched the Scriptures. These were the people who really studied the Bible. Now, did they have a good reason to search the Scriptures? Because For in them you think you have eternal life. Anything wrong with that? Eternal life. Now, remember, when you see the phrase eternal life, does not mean 
go to heaven when you die. Only. Uh, for a Jew, that would have been presumed. You go to the, the Jews came to Jesus and said, What do you mean? We're children of Abraham. What do you mean be born again? What, what are you talking about? We're, we're the chosen ones. It's automatic. They, they, they didn't have an eternal security problem. They didn't have any. They had the other problem. Yeah, Brandon? Tim, when it says you think you have eternal life, the Greek word for think is guess or suppose. Suppose. You speculate. speculate, okay. From the Scriptures. You speculate you have eternal life from the Scriptures. And these are they which testify of me. So where is eternal life in the Scriptures? And it's in... Jesus. Yeah, the Scriptures are pointing to Jesus. And I'm the means by which you get eternal life. And you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. So I'm going to paraphrase this. You're searching the Scriptures, trying to get eternal life, and missing the whole point. You've totally missed the point. They got all kinds of things out of the Scriptures, didn't they? They got how to do Sabbath. They got uh, a whole list of uh, qualifications for the Messiah. But they missed the point. So as we talk about prophetic questions and propheticquestions at gmail.com, what we're going to try really hard to do is not miss the point. Prophecy's there for our benefit so we can know God. So we can have hope. Um, So we can repent. So we can understand the gravity of today's decisions. And we're given some information about what's actually going to happen. It's not there for us to construct a Lego deal that we can control. I'd like to read a little verse on yeah. uh, 44. It says, on the road what, what is it? What is it again? Luke 24, 44. Okay. On the road to Emmaus, and he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all the things must be fulfilled which were written in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And then in verse 30, 46 he says, And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And I've looked through the Law of Moses, through the Psalms, and through the Prophets, and there's no literal verse that comes out and says the Messiah is going to die, be buried, and raised from the dead the third day. And so, and these people on the road to Emmaus would have been, like you said, very familiar with the Scriptures on the literal level. Um, but, you know, perhaps he was talking about through the life of Joseph, through the lives of these people, the history of it, and that it, it's an allegory that the Messiah was going to die, rise from dead the third day. Because I, don't, I haven't found a verse that just comes out explicitly and says the Messiah is going to die. Okay, that's a good point. That's a good point. So if we've got uh, this big, big things like this, then maybe, some, maybe there's some mystery about what's in front of us too. Matter, matter of fact, I think we could expect that. All right, let's keep going here. John 7. Let's go to John 7. John 7, and let's look at verse uh, 40. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. So now we're going to have this kind of difference of opinion now in the next several verses we're going to look at. So the first group of people said, This is the prophet. What, what do they mean by the prophet? The prophet that would be like unto Moses. Yeah, yeah, they're looking for another Moses. Deuteronomy 18.18 18 says, I will raise up a prophet from among your brethren like you about talking about Moses. So they're looking for a prophet. 
And they said, this is him. And they're saying it on the basis of what? Can you just look back up a few verses there? It's basically on the basis of... It, you have to go back away. It's basically on the basis of what he's saying. And, and, and as we go through here, it's going to be on the basis of what he's doing. But some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Now where did they know that the Christ was going to be born? Bethlehem. They have that right or wrong? They had it right. They knew he was coming out of Bethlehem. Now what are they missing? What do we know they're missing here? They're missing at least two things. Out of Egypt I've called my son. Okay, out of Egypt I've called my son, meaning what? Meaning, well, that's why they went into exile in Egypt and returned. Okay. They also missed that they, they didn't know that maybe he was from he was born in Bethlehem. Yeah, they didn't go bother to go check the facts out, find out that he was actually he actually was born in Bethlehem. They didn't bother to check that out, right? They just made assumptions. Do you ever hear people making assumptions in the uh, yeah. didn't mean to didn't mean to make you mad? Sorry. <laughs> didn't mean to, they didn't mean to chase people away, right? Oh. <laughs> I think the reason why that they associated him with the prophet was because of the few statements Yeshua made up here that said, you will seek me and you cannot find me and where you go I cannot come. And he reiterates it in a second place. It's because the Jewish Talmud, even at this time, said the Messiah will reveal himself and then hide himself for a time like Moses was revealed to the children of Israel when he slew the Egyptian and then went to Midian for a time. And so they were expecting this type of, of uh, things from the Messiah as well. Okay. But but here they're saying you you didn't come out of you didn't come out of you know, who's coming out of Galilee. They're missing a prophecy though. What you remember what prophecy they're made, uh they're missing? Uh well, I wasn't thinking about that one. There's another one that's in Handel's Messiah. Uh that you Zebulun and Nephtali shall have seen a great light. Then the people have seen of great shall see a great light. Okay, well that, that's that's a prophecy that they missed, and but they already had their system down. You see it? They they had an expectation of what the Messiah was going to look like, and he wasn't fitting this. So you got one group of people saying, "Well, listen to what he's saying. Look at what he's doing," and the experts are saying, mm-mm, mm-mm, "No, no, he doesn't fit." You know, when when we have somebody that fits, then we'll then we'll think about that. Let's keep on going in chapter seven. The officers, they're supposed to go arrest him. And he said, no man ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered and said, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd doesn't know what the the law, they're accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night being one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what what he's doing? See, we hadn't even checked to see where the guy's born. We don't know what he's doing. They answered and said, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look. No prophets have risen out of Galilee. He doesn't fit our system. Let's go to John chapter 9. And while what you're saying is true that the Jews, you know, rejected like this, there's also prophecy in the Old Testament that they were blinded on purpose so that the death would happen. And so we, all, we also see this blindness come to physical with Paul and the scales falling off his eyes, you know. Yeah. 
So chapter 9, verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who's a sinner do such signs? So you've got one group of people saying, Well, if he's a sinner, how's he, how's he making people healed? Other people say, yeah, yeah, He's not fitting in our system. He's not keeping the Sabbath. Let's look at John 9, 29. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he's from. Well, they could have gone and checked, right? They, they, weren't, they weren't trying to find out. What they're trying to do is circle the wagons around their system. Why, this is a marvelous thing. You don't know where he's from, yet he's opened my eyes. This is the blind guy that got healed. So here we have this wonderful uh, parallel. You've got a blind guy who can see talking to. Guys who can see that are... Blind, right? Uh, this is such a rich passage. You don't know where he's from, yet he's opened my eyes. Now we know God doesn't hear sinners. But if anyone's a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it's unheard of. Anyone open the eyes of who is born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins. <laughs> and you're teaching us. Now why would they say he's completely born in sins? He was born blind. And their theology was? He deserved it. He deserved it because? He was a sinner. He was a sinner or? Parents. His parents or someone else. And this is God's judgment on something they had done. And so you can't listen to this guy. So they cast him out. You see, where knowing the Scriptures and building a system is, um, has the potential to miss the point. And there's nothing wrong with having a framework for understanding. All of us have that. Let's just have it not be an end unto itself. Uh, The Scriptures are not an end unto itself. The Scriptures are a means to know Jesus. Uh, Let's go back to 8. Let's look at chapter 8, verse 13. The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself, therefore your witness is not true. In the rabbinic system, someone would stand up and say, You have heard it said, but I say. You've heard that in the Scriptures, right? Jesus did it on Sermon on the Mount. But what they would do is say, You've heard it said, and they're resting on that authority, and then they would add something to that authority. Well, Jesus just spoke out and said, This is the way it is. And people said, This man speaks like he has authority. What are they saying? He's not referring to legal precedent, which was the rabbinical norm. He's just speaking like he actually knows. And they're saying, well, you're, just, you're, not, you're not following our system. I mean, if you're a Pharisee and your whole system's built up with this rabbinical um, uh, precedent and someone's just throwing it overboard, what are you going to think? Yeah, what is it? Heretic. Heretic, why? Violates the orthodoxy. You're violating orthodoxy. And what is that threatening? Leadership. The whole establishment. Who's, who's the beneficiary of the establishment? Them, right? Establishment people typically defend the establishment because it benefits the establishment. And Jesus says in verse 15, You judge according to the flesh... 
I judge no one. Boy, that's a fascinating verse, isn't it? And then he goes on and says, if I do judge, my judgment's true. And he's going to judge the whole world, but not, not yet. Paul tells us, judge everything in time. I, I, I don't even judge myself, Paul says. But, I, but that doesn't mean I'm off the hook. It just means the judgment's in the future. And all things are going to be put right. So don't try to make it right yourself. I think people tend to use prophecy to judge other people. And that's not the point either. There will be judgment. Nobody's going to get away with a thing. It'll all be paid for one way or the other. Thankfully, Jesus has already paid for it all. That's what I'm hoping will be my case. I don't, I don't want to embrace any condemnation. So look at, let's look at John chapter 9, verse 16. Oh, we did that one already. Verse 34. So let's start in 28. Then they reviled him and said, You're his disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. What do you, what do you see here? You see some repeating of a narrative? This is the way politicians do it. They, get, they kick a narrative and they just repeat it over and over again. There's a great quote from um, uh, Lenin that says, A lie told often enough becomes the truth. And this is, this is the way you do it in politics. You just pound a narrative away and it becomes uh, a, 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 a defense in and of itself. The man answered and said, why, this is a marvel. Oh, I already did that. So I'm, I'm repeating myself now. Sorry. Let's go to chapter 10. The Jews answered him saying, verse 33, chapter 10, verse 33. The Jews answered him saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now in this case, they had, they had ruled out one possibility, which is what? that the Messiah would be God. That the Messiah would be deity. They'd ruled that out. Now on what basis did they rule that out? We're not really told. But they, they did not have that as a possibility. So what does that tell us about the way we ought to think about prophetic future? Yeah, yeah. So don't rule out possibilities unless you're, unless you're specifically told to rule out the possibility. The concept is in Jewish texts from those times. However, it's obvious from these texts that this group of people didn't believe that. Some did. Some did. This people, this group of people did not. They had already had in mind. And again, we're not focusing. A lot of people did believe. We're focusing on the people that rejected, and they were the people that knew the Scriptures the best. So the point here is, let's don't do prophetic interpretation like this. Let's don't miss the point. The point's Jesus. Let's don't make assumptions. Let's don't uh, just defend a particular system that we happen to have bought into. Uh, and, and let's don't make assumptions about what's not possible. There's some things you'll never know. Some things we'll never know. As a matter of fact, uh, it's, it's common for us kind of Greek culture people that start with the premise that uh, we, will, we will someday know. That's the whole basis of Greek philosophy is... If we just spend long enough, we'll understand everything. 
And there's a premise from that that when we all get to heaven, we'll all know everything. Which would mean what, if that was true? We'll be God. Yeah. And what actually will happen is that we will become more cognizant of infinity. We being finite, because we all have a beginning, the more you understand what infinity is, is it going to get bigger or smaller? It's going to get bigger. So as our, as our actual knowledge expands exponentially, and we know more and more and more and more and more, what are we going to be aware of? That we're getting behind. Yeah, it's becoming a smaller and smaller percentage of what we're aware is out there. Is that going to be exciting or boring? It's exciting. There's, we're never, James will always be able to teach Petrosource classes. Well, maybe not Petrosource. But some kind of class. I mean, there's always going to be something else to know. Do you think God did that to help us trust and depend and follow? Did what? I mean, do you think God, uh, one of his, the reasoning behind not letting us know everything, I mean, obviously our minds would be blown if we knew all that he knew, but um, him, him not filling in every blank helps us to be humble and dependent and follow and just... Sure. Well, I mean, the, the, the basic, one of the things God tells us He is, is our father, our parent. Okay? So, you're now raising a child. Are you trying to tell him as much as possible about the pains and difficulties of life right now? You're just trying to get him to stand up, right? And then, and get out of diapers. That would be the first big thing, right? Get out of diapers. And as, as you're trying to get him to get out of diapers, are you going to, you know, kind of try to help him understand the immense pain associated with intestinal difficulties? And it's just not time, right? It's just one thing at a time as you grow up. And if you tried to get too much at once, it'd just overwhelm him. He wouldn't have anywhere to go. Have you noticed in your life that God tends to let you see your own faults a little at a time? Can you imagine if you had gotten them all at once? We kind of know what that's like from Isaiah. Isaiah went into the presence of the Lord. What did he do? Yeah, he just fell down on his face. What did he say? I'm unclean. And, and that we see that. You know, John comes in the presence of Jesus and he says... Uh, I'm unclean. Yeah, I'm, I'm an unclean man. Don't you think that a, a lot of what we're talking about is that the problem with humans is our pride. And the understanding of, of prophecy is not really in pursuit of understanding. It's in pursuit of our own pride. And Jesus tells us, you know, come to, us, come to him like a, a little child. And the little children didn't understand prophecy. They understood the big. They understood the main point. Right? I think we're done. No, that's very, very well said. I, I just think I think that's it. We're children, and God's trying to tell us something. So let's listen to what He's telling us, and all the other stuff we can we can enjoy that too. But that's not the main point. The main point is the main point. So a couple more things. Uh, let's look at John eleven. John eleven forty seven. Uh, 
this is kind of uh, shows the hardness of our pride when we actually start to... Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many miracles. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. What's their motivation? What is it? Self-preservation. Okay, and that's a... You know, Tim, you do it well there. It's pride. Their motive is to entrench. And here they are. Listen to what the words they're saying. God, this guy's doing all kinds of miracles. If we don't stop him, everyone's going to believe in him. And what would be wrong with that, right? Well, what, he would, what they were drawing the conclusion of is that he, they would make himself a king, overthrow the Herodian uh, uh, system, and then Rome would come. Rome and cru- crush him. Yeah, yeah so, so that's, a, that's a good point of that. You know, we can substitute in things and say we have to control current, current circumstances or else things are going to go badly. Which is to say, who's in control of the future? And one of the great things we can get from prophecy is God is in control. We may not like from here to there. It may be very painful. I mean, life is kind of painful, isn't it? Have you, been, have you experienced any pain in your life? And it may be stuff happen that we don't like. But, but God is uh, in control. Last thing. Let's look at John 12, verse 8. But Jesus said, uh, nope, nope, nope. That's not right. Well, I missed it. What I was intending to talk about is Lazarus raising from the dead. When Lazarus raised from the dead, many believed because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So you got this, you got this situation where maybe they don't understand exactly where he came from. Maybe they don't understand how certain prophecies fit in. Maybe, maybe they got people saying, well, you know, this theology may not be right. And they look and say, I know power when I see it. I know God when I see it. I know righteousness when I see it. I'm going to follow that. And that's kind of the point too, right? It's not our pride we're trying to build up. It's us trying to follow righteousness, God's way. So, just to wrap up, prophecy is God talking about stuff. When God talks about stuff, He's leading us in the right way for our own benefit. And if we'll listen and hit the main point... We can benefit from it and we'll see Him and we'll see righteousness. We'll see benefit, life. We'll have our life be better as we follow that. And and if if we try to manipulate it to make ourselves feel like we're in control, we're just going to get messed up worse. Okay? So, propheticquestions at gmail.com. I didn't. I will. I wish you would have kept reading in 11 verse... Oh, come on, Matt. <laughs> We're finished. Stop. Just wait Wait for next week. Put it in as a question. I will. <laughs> All right. Did, did you email me, Terry? I did. All right. Thank you, God, for this great opportunity to come around your table, hear your word, and see that you've got our best interest at heart. You're giving us life. You're giving us the opportunity to follow you. And we are children 
that want our own way. We're two-year-olds, we're six-year-olds. We think we know a lot more than we really do. And as we come to these phenomenal questions of, of uh, the prophetic understanding of future events, Lord, I pray that you give us the humility to understand what we don't know and the wisdom to see what you've got there for us that can shape us, mold us, encourage us, give us hope, give us comfort, challenge us, cause us to repent and uh, to live life better in, in, in what we call today. In Jesus' name, amen. What does it refer to? Well, it's, uh, it, Caiaphas stands up and says, you 